This Lent in traditional and modern worship, our pastoral team is preaching the series, God Moves Us. Jesus didn't stay in one place for long. His earthly ministry was one of moving from one place and encounter to the next. He also moved through every part of the human experience, encountering everything from temptation to joy to suffering and even death. As we encounter the life and ministry of Jesus, we cannot stay the same. We ourselves are moved to grow and change as followers and imitators of the gospel. The comforting truth of Lent is that we delve deeper into our own self-examination. We find that we are not alone. God is still on the move in our lives, walking with us every step as we travel the road to Easter. Our scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. Some who were present on that occasion told Jesus about the Galileans who Pilate had killed while they were offering sacrifices. He replied, Do you think the suffering of these Galileans proved that they were no more sinful than all the other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you change your hearts and lives, you will die just as they did. What about those 18 people who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Do you think they were more guilty of wrongdoing than everyone else who lives in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you change your hearts and lives, you will die just as they did. Jesus told this parable. A man owned a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it and found none. He said to his gardener, Look, I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree for the past three years, and I've never found any. Cut it down. Why should it continue depleting the soil's nutrients? The gardener responded, Lord, give it one more year, and I will dig around it and give it fertilizer. Maybe it will produce fruit next year. If not, then you can cut it down. O oh God, add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of Scripture. Our hearts and minds are open. Amen. I hope that as you came into the uh, room this morning, you were able to get a connection card. If not, there are plenty there on the table in the back. And uh, what we'd like to do with these connection cards is just that. We just want to connect with you. Uh, if you'll let us know that you're here, you can do that on this card, or there's also a QR code to let us know that you're worshiping with us. There's also a place for you to leave a prayer request, uh, and you can mark it private, and our pastors will pray for you, or you can mark it public, and our prayer team will pray. Any of the cards left, we pray for them each and every week. You know, this Lent... Our sermon series has been titled, God Moves Us. And Lent is that time where we self-reflect and begin to discover those places in our lives that need attention, those places that prevent us from allowing God to move us. The very first week of Lent, we talked about how God moves us through temptation, through temptation. Last week, uh, Pastor Maggie preached on how God moves us through distractions. And today, 
we're gonna look at how God moves us through unfairness. You know, we can let equality and fairness make or break our day. Are you with me? Uh, Take a look at this image here. Uh, I love this. Uh, It says, today will be a good day. Uh, Never mind. (laughs) You see that it's all spilled out into the the floor. I mean, doesn't your day feel like that some of the time that it just gets wrecked and you want to say, it's not fair. Uh, In the text that uh, Bill read for us this morning, Jesus speaks to a crowd. Some of those uh, are gathered, seek Jesus's opinion on a public event that has transpired. Jesus, as a prophet, takes this opportunity to talk about this local issue in a way that just changes how they see it. He changes the lens in which they were looking through. He turns it upside down so they could look at it differently. And rather than focusing on the event that they are asking about, Jesus encourages them to change what they can, their minds. The event they're asking about is Governor Pilate's execution of faithful Galileans who were in the practice of some ritual experience. Now, this event could have very well affected Jesus personally. He was a Galilean. I mean, it is not out of the question that he may have known some of the people that were murdered by Pilate in this act of brutality. Uh, At the very least, he would have been aware of some of them, but yet he doesn't focus on that. The event that happens is something that disgraces the Galileans in a horrific way. The blood of their their, uh, people is mixed in with the blood of the sacrifices and this violates their ritual practice. But Jesus doesn't even speak about that in his response to the people. He instead talks about his fellow Galileans. He asks if those who were slaughtered there were sinners and their sin was greater than those who weren't? He he asked them this question because he knows the root of why they are asking about this event. Because it would have been well understood in those times that you were punished to the degree of your own sinfulness. And Jesus wants to make it really clear from the start that that has nothing to do with these Galileans getting killed. In fact, he even adds another event that happens. You know, he he adds this event of the tower falling on the people who are right there at the temple. This was just a natural 
disaster, a flaw in engineering. And he said, were those people more sinful? He says, no, victims of a surprising unforeseen circumstances, it has nothing to do with their past. And Jesus tells the people that they need to repent. Monteneo is the word he used, which is to change your mind. To change your mind about your current thinking of justice and fairness. Changing one's mind is an act that will change someone's conduct. Now, the Greek term translation that they use for for moving here is the Hebrew is shove, which means to return, to go back, or to go home. Jesus is telling them to return to the people you are, the people God made you to be. Jesus moves us through unfairness by pushing us to really change, to change our minds. You know, we have a tendency uh, to, to resist change, don't we? We, we have these uh, uh, family, uh, family friends from, from almost a lifetime ago when, when Tracy and I were dating in Mobile, Alabama. And, and this family friends, uh, we were actually closer to their boys' age than we were their age, but they became, befriended us and loved on us. And, and they had these three boys, and the two older boys were, were in similar age, and they had this younger boy. And uh, they had different rules for the boys, depending on their age and stage and maturity level, just like we all do. And as you know, when you have different rules for your kids, it can cause drama from time to time, right? And uh, the, the older boys were going to do something really fun. I can't remember what it is. I wish it was, but they were hikers and canoers and all that kind of stuff. So who knows what it was? But their youngest son, Will, was like, why can't I go with them? It is so unfair. Why do you let them do things that I can't do? And our, our friend, the dad, just looked at him and said, well, we love them more. <laughs> and he stopped and he thought, and he goes, oh, you do not. <laughs> you know, we all have that tendency to look at the world is fair or unfair, don't we? And like the crowds who are asking Jesus about this incident that happened, we assume that God is not only a just God, that God is a fair God. You know, we don't really believe that, do we? But yet, that's how we act. Uh, Asbury has a great upward basketball and soccer program. It's a great place where people can uh, bring their kids and they can have a safe environment to participate in sports. Uh, in the student ministry, when I was in that world, we used to uh, laugh a lot. We would say, we would call upward basketball Jesus ball because they didn't keep score. <laughs> you know, it had to be fair. But parents... We all know who won that game, don't we? We were keeping score right there. 
in our own minds. Of course, we know in our soul that life isn't fair. You've heard teachers and parents tell you all the time, you know, life just isn't fair. Yet we fall into this illusion of fairness. And I think it's because we have a faulty way of looking at how God works in the world. Our modern culture acts as if our time on this earth right now is all that matters. It's all there is. It's all that we have. For all practical purposes, our culture has dismissed the fact that Jesus is in the business of moving mountains. And that means that the greatest tragedy modern humans can imagine is unfairness or inequity. They're getting something that I'm not getting. We must insist that things are just right or it's not fair. And I want to propose to you that that God does not move in your life to make things fair. God moves in your life to make things right. Sometimes the right thing is not the fair thing. All we have to do is turn on the news and we see it playing out in real time, don't we? It is not fair that that people in Ukraine have to abandon their homes and seek out safety. Yet God is in the business of making that right. It's not fair that the pandemic has set back our kids' development and education, yet God is moving to make that right. We've all had our world rocked and turned upside down, but give me just a minute to talk to, especially our high school and college students that are in the room. It's not fair that this point of human history happened when you were at the age that you're at. But that doesn't mean that God's not working in your life to make things right. Jesus moves you through unfairness by pushing you to really change, to change your minds. This change is something that is difficult for everyone. Change is hard because it generally means you have to give something up in order to move to something new. Uh, here, here in this service, we, we really call this, talk a lot about bridging the gap. Uh, it's one of the things that we value. It's one of the things that we understand is that when we make small changes over time, that's when real transformation happens. Do you really believe that change can happen in your life? Do you believe that God moves you, that, that, that God can still move mountains? I do. And in during this sermon series, I've been saying that God works alongside you to move mountains, but most of the time we get a shovel in a bucket. 
to begin that process. What can we start digging at right now, this week, so that God can move us through the unfairness of life? Change happens when you focus on what you can control. Now, I've, I've taught on this before, but it's, it's been a little bit, but I do believe it's a powerful way that we can bridge the gap between who we are right now and who God wants us to be. Author Stephen Covey of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People talks about how we have these three circles, and we're going to put them on the screen for you to see. We all have three circles in our life. Uh, a circle of concern, a circle of influence, and a circle of control. Most people spend way too much time in their circle of concern. Now, the circle of concern is just that. It's all those things in your life that you are concerned about. The, the Russian invasion of Afghanistan, uh, the, the pandemic, inflation, gas prices, all of that stuff that you're concerned about. Maybe it's a teacher or a boss who keeps putting more and more and more on you that you can't even figure out how you're going to get it done. All of that's in your circle of concern. Now, your circle of influence is a little bit different. Your circle of influence are the things that, that you could probably do something about. So you move from just worrying about all that stuff in that bigger circle to starting to ask the question, what, what can I do about it? What can I do about all of these things that are causing stress and anxiety in my life? Because when, when all you do is stay in that circle of concern, that's when you start saying things like, life isn't fair. When you move to the circle of influence and say, what can I do about it? For example, what can I do about the refugees in Ukraine? Then you move to that middle circle, the circle of control, and you start doing the things that you can do. For example, Amy brought it up in Asbury Now. You can help support UMCOR, United Methodist Committee on Relief, which gives 100% of everything it gets to the causes that it goes for. And I can't remember the exact number. There are six or eight United Methodist churches in the Ukraine area, which UMCOR is helping to support, who supports people there. That's something you can do something about right now. And what's really cool is when you bridge that gap between your circle of concern and circle of influence, your circle of influence begins to get bigger. Let's look at this next slide. This is kind of how this works. You got the circle of concern and that green dot's your circle of influence. And when you change your minds and you start to ask the question, what can I do? then that circle of influence gets larger when you start doing it. When you start concentrating on what you can control, 
then things can start to happen. Let's look at part of our scripture real quick. The scripture started out, some of you were present on the occasion, on that occasion, let me start over. Some who were present on that occasion told Jesus about the Galileans whom Pilate had killed while they were offering sacrifices. And he replied, do you think the suffering of these Galileans proves that they were more sinful than all the other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you change your hearts and lives, you will die just as they did. Those people were living in their circle of concern. They were worried about the government coming and brutalizing them, some of it directly, some of it indirectly. And Jesus said, stop it. You need to focus on changing your own life and mind. Jesus moves you through unfairness by pushing you to really change. This text is really challenging for us Jesus followers because we have to change in order to allow God to move us. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, he adds this voice of mercy to this call of repentance and change. At the end of this passage, we have that weird, quirky little story about the fig tree. Uh, I want to read it for you again, just so to familiarize yourself with what was in that text. Jesus told this parable, a man owned a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it and found none. He said to his gardener, look, I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree for the past three years and I've never found any. Cut it down. Why should it continue this depleting the soil's nutrients. The gardener responded, Lord, give it one more year and I will dig around it and give it fertilizer. Maybe it will produce fruit next year. If not, then you can cut it down. This little parable is only found in the Gospel of Luke. Now, you might remember other fig tree stories in the other Gospels. You might go, wait a minute, there's other ones, but they're different. There, uh, Jesus is hungry and it doesn't have fruit and he's kind of mad at it and he just zaps it, you know? Uh, this one's different. This one, the owner has been coming to the vineyard and looking for fruit each and every year. The owner's visit is intentional. The text emphasizes how purposefully he comes to see if it's born any fruit to which he's entitled. And even though the landowner is justifiably frustrated that there is no fruit, he, he still begins to talk it out. And he says, you know, I've let this tree grow here for three years. That, that's significant. That comes from Leviticus. The Leviticus code says to allow a fruit allow a tree to produce fruit for three years before you eat and sell that fruit. 
And so he's given the, the, the allotment of time that the tree needs to be productive. And so the landowner says, cut it down. And then he adds, why should we allow this fruitless tree to take up good soil? Why should it be wasteful? But this gardener instead respectfully says, Lord, I want you to see that this gardener is on the side of the fig tree. The gardener's solution is to offer grace of another year for the tree to produce fruit. The gardener believes in this tree. The gardener wants the fig tree to produce what it was created to produce. Now, something interesting hit me, and by the off chance that my New Testament professor, Dr. Mitzi Minor, is listening, I realize I have, I have gotten two Gospels here, and she would not like that. But in the Gospel of John, when Mary goes to perform the burial ritual rites for Jesus, and he's not there, who does she mistake Jesus for? The gardener. The gardener is for the fig tree. Jesus is for you. Jesus wants you to move and to become the person that God has created you to be. Jesus wants to come and get that bucket and shovel and dig out and fertilize and grow so that you can produce fruit. I urge you during this season of Lent, let Jesus move you this week so that he can change your hearts and minds. Let's pray. Oh God, we're so grateful for your word and your love and your care. Thank you for never giving up on us. Oh God, may we all begin this week to change our hearts and minds and change and focus on the things that we can control so that we can grow into the person that you have created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>